All right, are you ready to eat? All right. Uh, I don't know, I guess I have food on the brain. It's twice I've mentioned it already this morning. So um, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we have in this service to open your word. And Father, I pray that as uh, we engage in it, we would be edified. That is Paul's, one of his main points in this section, is that as we speak the word of God clearly, the church is strengthened, it's built up, it's edified. May this be true as we engage in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to uh, share a statement that it's usually shared at a different time of year. It wasn't too long ago, but we're going to go ahead and I'm going to share the statement, and then you are going to reply as appropriate. Are you ready? All right. He is risen. Yeah, isn't it great to say that on in, in a, in a weekend other than, on a Sunday other than Easter? All right. We, we, it's very, you expect it on Easter Sunday, and you're upset if I don't do it on Easter Sunday. Uh, but when we come together for the first day of the week, uh, we are basically proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. Uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's why we come together today. Uh, I want to jump right in this morning because we're going to be uh, hurting for time with all that we've had going on so far. So let's just engage in, uh, in this particular uh, statement that we looked at last week. Last week we considered that uninterpreted tongues spoken in corporate worship. That's what we are doing right now. We are corporately gathered together in worship. Uninterpreted tongues spoken in corporate worship uh, is a source of confusion rather than confession. And when we come together and we say, He is risen, He is risen indeed, it's a form of a confession. Last week we read a, a statement of, of faith uh, that pronounced the gospel. It's what we use in our, uh, our beginnings class, and I encourage you to participate and, and go through the beginnings class and, and uh, where you'll learn that statement in more detail. But as, as when we come to worship, we, we come to confess. We come to confess one thing. Jesus is Lord. When we say He is risen, He is risen indeed. We are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord. He's the one who has conquered sin. He's the one who has conquered death. He is the one that, that is, uh, enables us to come in His righteousness into the presence of God in prayer. So when we come uh, this morning in worship, uh, we come to confess this one truth, that Jesus is Lord. Now, it may be this morning that that, that wasn't in the forefront of your mind as you journeyed your way uh, into church this morning. And so uh, I, I would ask, is there any other reason for us to come together than to proclaim that Jesus is Lord? I really don't think so. Uh, I, I think that as we consider why some people come to church, we could ask ourselves, do we come to, to worship because um, uh, we have to? Well, there's some children in the room that probably say, and maybe a spouse or two that might say, yeah, yeah, that's why I come. Uh, do we come to worship because this is where our friends hang out? Once again, I will say there's some children and probably some adults that would say, yeah, that's why I'm here. Uh, do we come to worship because we like the music? Uh, I know there are some people that would say that's exactly one of the reasons I come to worship. So do we come to worship because, well, that's just what we always do on Sunday morning. That was me growing up. That was me. I went to church faithfully every week unless we were sick, even on vacation. No matter what country we were in, we would have our bodies in a building and we would call it worship. But why do we come to worship? 
Uh, I believe that we should come to worship to join in the corporate expression of praise to God for sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior. We come to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. But what if rather than confession, we have confusion? What if this morning when you walked through those doors and you, you sat in here and all of a sudden I started speaking in a, in a foreign language and you didn't understand a word I was saying and those around you were speaking and you had no idea what they were saying and you, you would sit there in confusion. And I think that is the context that we see Paul is in in the city of Corinth, in the church at Corinth. Because apparently that is what was happening And he was confronting this body of believers and saying, your practice of exercising uh, uninterpreted tongues during corporate worship is causing problems. And we need to fix these problems. We need to correct the way you are practicing worship. There were those... There were some of those within the church that were exalting uh, tongues, speaking in tongues, as if it were the quintessential gift. It was the gift above all other gifts. And and Paul's saying, no, it's one of the gifts. But if if truth would be known, Paul says, he says, prophecy is better than tongues. And that's what he's been communicating as we've gone through. So what we've been learning over the past number of weeks, uh, I highlighted last week, I kind of summarized it last week by going all the way from verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12 and 14. What I want to do today is kind of like just highlight, just summarize where we've been in chapter 14. I'm going to highlight by, by slides, I'm going to tell you where we've been in chapter 14, but also where we're going today. All right, so let's, let's follow along here as we consider a summary. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5, uh, we encountered Paul uh, co- communicating to the Corinthians, love your fellow Christians through the edifying practice of prophecy rather than speaking in uninterpreted tongues. That was, that was the point. He was intro, introing the whole topic, and he's saying, listen, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But the the emphasis building off of chapter 13 is love. We are supposed to be sacrificial in our love towards others. And we are supposed to love our fellow Christians, seeking their edification before our own. But this really prompted the question of why, Paul? Why should this be true? And this is what we see uh, as we get into the next verses, uh, section of verses in verses 6 through 12. This is what we covered last week. Uh, Why is it important that we um, love our fellow Christians to edify them through the practice of prophecy and not through uninterpreted tongues? Because speaking in uninterpreted tongues fails to communicate God's Word so it can be understood. This is really where we we, uh, focused last week. If you were to come in this room and not understand a word I said, you would leave here no different than when you entered, except for maybe you did a higher level of frustration and maybe even a little angst or anger. Now, when I was a teenager growing up, attending the church that I attended, we were stationed in Germany, and my dad was stationed there, and when I wasn't able to either get out of bed or other, other events uh, stopped me from going to church in the morning, I would actually go either the night before, on Saturday night, or I'd go late in the day to the German church. And I would sit in that cathedral, and I'd be mesmerized by the architecture and by the acoustics, but I wouldn't understand hardly a word that was being said. And I thought I was in worship. 
And it's just not the way it is. As we consider this idea of, of the, the dangers of uninterpreted tongues, we're supposed to be um, uh, focusing on the clear communication of God's Word. As we get into today's section of Scripture, we're going to see that although that sounds serious, right, the idea that, that speaking in uninterpreted tongues fails to communicate God's Word, that sounds serious, and it is. And that's why we're trying to, to be clear in our teaching and preaching of God's Word. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 to 19, which we'll cover here uh, in a few minutes, speaking in uninterpreted tongues leaves our fellow Christians in ignorance. And this is, this is, we'll develop that as we go through the text today. And as serious as that is, it gets worse. Because as you get into verses 20 through 23, we see speaking in uninterpreted tongues leads others to come to the wrong conclusion about worship. I did three years of studying and theology and worship. I've learned so much through those studies. And I know Pastor Aaron takes worship and theology and worship very seriously. He works hard to craft the, the interaction between the music and the text and, and the readings and the different things that we do because worship matters. And if we experience uninterpreted tongues in the context of corporate worship, and we, through that process, lead others to the wrong conclusion, we are doing a disservice to those people and to the church body. So therefore, uh, as we get into what's the solution that Paul's going to share, he says very clearly, speak the word of, of God clearly. Speak the word of God clearly. This is the big idea that we talked about last week. The church is best edified when God's word is spoken in clarity. And I'll say this probably frequently during this service because it's, it is the, the point that Paul is making. What good is the word of God if it cannot be understood? I've got to be careful with that because the Word of God is the Word of God, and we'll talk about that at the very end. But I want you to say, what, what good is it practically to us if we can't understand it? Look through church history. There were times where people didn't understand the Word, and therefore they didn't grow. They didn't understand the Word, so they fell into uh, habits that were uh, often characterized as uh, uh, heresy. So as we go into our text today, we're going to continue to develop this idea that the church is best edified when God's Word is spoken in clarity. And so Paul just finished stating in verse 12, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 14. I don't have all these texts uh, for you to see on the slides. But as we look here, Paul just finished stating in verse 12, he said, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, Corinthians, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. This is what's on Paul's mind and heart as he's challenging the Corinthians. And he's saying, listen, you need to seek the building up of others, the strengthening of, of others as you communicate God's Word. And he says, but he's going to challenge them. They were failing to edify the body in two different ways. We're going to look at the Actually, uh, three different ways, I think. But we're, we're going to look at the, this one uh, in just a minute here. We're going we're gonna to look at verses 13 through 19. We've already looked at this. But speaking in uninterpreted tongues leaves our fellow Christians in ignorance. And, and what the, Paul is going to confront them with is if we're going to avoid ignorance, there's a couple of things that need to be true. Uh, the first thing we see as we get into verse 13, we're going to see that for ignorance to be avoided, uh, there must be an interpretation of any tongue that is spoken. Look at verse 13. 
He says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Paul is challenging the individual tongue speaker directly. These people existed in the the church at Corinth in the first century. He says, listen, pray that when you speak in this tongue that you may interpret. Apparently, in the practice of speaking in tongues, it was uh, the speaker did not always understand what was being said. Can you imagine that? Just for a moment, imagine that. You had, God gifted you with the gift of tongues, and you, you exercise that gift in the holiness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but you don't have a clue what you're saying. Apparently, that's a real deal. That's a real thing. And Paul's saying, listen, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue, he's dealing with the corporate worship, and he's saying, listen, if you're going to speak in a tongue, pray that he may interpret, because without an interpreter, what we're going to, uh, Paul makes three observations. He says, for ignorance to be avoided, there must be an interpretation of any tongue that is spoken. And he says, without an interpreter, first of all, we see that prayer in a tongue does not edify the church. And so this is kind of black and white in your text as we go through here. But I want you to understand, there's something positive going on in this text in the sense of any gifting of the Holy Spirit is a positive gift. And I'm going to say it again. I've said it before. The gift of first century tongues is not fully understood. The modern expression of tongues is not necessarily what was taking place in the first century speaking of tongues. The manifestation of speaking in tongues in, in many churches today are done in such a way where there's no interpretation being practiced. There are multiple people speaking in tongues at the same time, and it's causing confusion. And when there's confusion, you can't have a clear confession that Jesus is Lord. It's just confusion. So Paul is is correcting their practice and saying, stop elevating tongues over other gifts. I would encourage you, elevate prophecy, and the way I'm going to use prophecy today is, again, not in a a definitive fashion, but I will say this, any form of legitimate prophecy must engage in God's Word. So I'm going to speak about prophecy today as clearly communicating God's Word, whether it's Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, from a prophet, whether it's New Testament, thus saith the Lord, from an apostle, or whether it comes from us quoting an Old Testament or New Testament uh, believer, quoting any aspect of the revealed God, uh, Word of God, as we share God's Word, let's share it clearly. Let's be focused on communicating God's Word in such a way where there is understanding taking place. This is one of the reasons why I believe some versions have, uh, are, are easier for, for people to understand in different environments. And so, uh, you know, the different versions are out there, and they ought to be used to the glory of God and for clarity to clearly bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives of those who understand it. So he says, first of all, in 14, he says, uh, we see that a prayer in, in a tongue does not edify the church. He says in verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, one of the things that I like to say about tongues, not knowing everything about it, I will say this. I believe tongues to be a a means, a spirit-empowered means of praising God. If you look at Acts chapter 2, when uh, when the the apostles were uh, speaking in tongues and those that were present on the day of Pentecost were understanding their, their words in their own languages, they were amazed. They were amazed. 
And the text of Scripture says, as they magnified the Lord for his wonderful works. There was this aspect of speak, speaking in tongues for that, that event on Pentecost where those who were, who were praising God in, in a foreign language uh, were, were praising God for his wonderful works. When we get into the, re- the, the Scripture reading today in Acts chapter 10, we see that when Peter showed up at the Gentile's house, Cornelius was a Gentile, and all his household were Gentiles, and for a Jewish person to step into the, the home of a Gentile was really unheard of. It was not acceptable practice. But, but Paul, Peter, excuse me, Peter, at the, at the initiation of the Holy Spirit, goes and, and goes into this house, and we see as he's... As, he's going, as he goes there, he goes to share the gospel. And in the middle of sharing the gospel, Cornelius and those present in his house start to speak in other tongues. And it was the sign for, for, for Peter that, wow, the gospel has, has gone forth even to the Gentiles. It is not just for the Jews. The gospel is for the Gentiles. And, and they were speaking. But what were they doing when they were speaking? They were praising God. They praised God for what God was doing. So I think, as, as I can say over and over again, I don't fully understand what speaking in tongues is completely. And the fact that there's multiple gifts of tongues, I will say this. One aspect of that gift is the fact that God is being praised. And notice in that text in Acts chapter 2, what followed the gift of speaking in tongues? The gift of prophesying, Peter stood and gave the gospel. He proclaimed to all those that were in his hearing, and they were cut to the quick. They were cut to the heart. They're like, what what, what must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is Lord. And that is the gospel that we celebrate every day day, hopefully, of our lives, but certainly as we come together and worship. So Paul is saying, listen, if we're not going to communicate the Word of God clearly, if we're going to speak in uninterpreted tongues during worship, prayer in a tongue does not edify the church. But the opposite of that would be true. Prayer edifies. Prayer builds. Prayer strengthens. That is the nature of prayer. That is the purpose of prayer. And that is what we are as part of the worship that we are supposed to engage in. He asks in verse 15, he says, what is the conclusion then? Uh, if, you, if you look in that text, uh, right on the heels of 14, he says, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. He's saying, listen, if, if I'm going to pray, but it's going to be uninterpreted, there is no fruit because there is no understanding. There's definitely something positive going on, but it's not edifying those around the speaker. So he asked this question, what is the conclusion? Uh, I, I actually looked at the numerous different versions, and I have many of them uh, in, my, in my notes here for, for me to refer to if I need to. But in many of them, uh, the idea of the question is more along the lines of, what is the outcome of being able to interpret the tongue spoken? So this is, this is a confusing portion of Scripture for many people. I think it's fairly clear, and I hope to make it clear as we go through here. Paul says, what is the conclusion then? He says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. Paul is saying, if you're going to speak in tongues, pray that you're able to interpret. It's a separate gift. If you're going to speak in tongues, pray that you will understand. 
uh, by the interpretation, but pray that others will understand as well. And he says, listen, if, if, what is the conclusion? What is the outcome of being able to interpret the tongue? This is in answer to the prayer of pray that you are able to interpret. Paul says, when, I, when one is able to interpret the, the, the tongue, the, the, the tongue that was spoken, he says, I will pray with my spirit and with my understanding. For an individual who is practicing maybe private uh, worship and they speak in a tongue, and they do not understand. That we, going back to the earlier in chapter, in verse 2, it says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So there's something going on in that private demonstration, or that private practice of speaking in tongues. And I want to be careful with this. This is not a practice that one just does as much as it one that the Holy Spirit leads one into. As we understand it here. The Spirit chooses to manifest Himself through the speaking of tongues, as we understand here. And Paul says, they're not speaking to men, they're speaking to God. It's a, it's a, it's a private thing. And so not only do not other, other believers understand, but even the person praying does not necessarily understand. But Paul says, if you pray for the ability to interpret, this is the result. I will pray with the Spirit and with my understanding. It will not just be this private engagement and where I'm personally edified because I know there's something spiritual going on between God and me. Even though I don't understand the words, I know something special is taking place. Paul is saying, no, if you have the gift of interpretation as well as speaking in tongues, then you can pray with the Spirit and you can pray with understanding. That is the beauty of the, un- excuse me, of the interpreted Word of God. We have understanding. It's Paul's point throughout this whole section. Edification takes place in the life of the tongue speaker, but edification also takes place in the lives of those listening when interpretation takes place. So we have to understand, without an interpreter, prayer in a tongue does not edify the church. And this, the same is true of singing. In some, some way, Paul is saying, he says in the text, I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with understanding. What is true of speaking in tongues is true of singing in tongues. Again, I don't know what this looks like exactly, but it was practiced. And as we go through, I'm gonna, we're going to look at another observation here in just a minute that maybe uh, give us a little bit more clarity on this. But Paul is, is saying the second result is similar to the first. With an, interp- with an interpreter, singing can actually edify, strengthen, build up the body because there is understanding. And the third, the third aspect of this is just this. Blessings cannot be shared. I think this is where we gain a little bit more insight into what tongues is all about. He says, prayer is, is I, I cannot be edified if prayers uh, are not understood. I can, uh, you cannot be edified if singing is not understood. And he says, thirdly, without an interpreter, those who do not understand the, 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 the uninterpreted tongue cannot join in what should be a corporate blessing. Look at this, verse 16. It starts off with otherwise. He's contrasting something. He's saying, listen, the, the practice of uninterpreted tongues is, is mean, it, it's, it, it, it cannot do what God intends it to do unless it's interpreted. Otherwise, notice this, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Paul is He's making it very clear. There is legitimate thanksgiving to God taking place in the speaking of the uninterpreted tongue. But nobody understands it. 
But with an interpretation, there is a group of people who is impacted. There is a group of people that will be edified and built up. And they are the uninformed. Without interpretation, they are not built up. This un, the, the, the word uninformed in our text is the idea of Christians who do not have the gift of interpretation. And so these, and that would be, honestly, probably most of us in the room, right? Because we don't understand it. It's not something we practice in, in this church body. We do not practice the public expression of uninterpreted tongues. Now, I will say this. If someone, and I do believe the day's coming, when someone will stand up in the middle of our worship service and they will proclaim something in another tongue, and what are we going to do? Are we going to run them out the door? I hope not. Think about this scenario for just a minute. A person understands enough English to come and worship with us. They are in this room, and they are hearing the Word of God preached or sung or spoken in testimony. And they understand enough to, to what's being said, but they do not have the ability to speak the language, so they speak their own language. Maybe they say amen. Maybe they, after that amen, they say something a little bit more, and we're like, what was that? They can't control themselves. They're glorifying the God in, in, the, in the speaking of their tongue, and we do not understand it. Well, we ought to pause for a second and say, brother and sister, what, what, what was that? Right? And hopefully we'll be able to understand. But can you imagine the beauty of coming together in corporate worship and actually having believers from different nationalities, different cultures come and praise God together? We actually, when we were in Israel in 1994, and we stood in this one, uh, I don't know, it was a place, I can't remember, it might have been Mount of Olives, I, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but there was a dome. And if you stood in a certain place, the echo was amazing. But it wasn't an echo that confused, it was an, an echo that built upon the, the, the notes being sung. It was like you would sing and there would be other reverberations of the same thing. And we, we stood under this dome and we sang a holy, holy, holy. And as we were singing, this Asian group of, of, of tourists comes and they ask through their interpreter, can we sing with you? And there we are singing in English and, and I don't know if it was Chinese or Korean or, or Japanese, I really don't know. And we were all singing holy, holy, holy together. And it was beautiful. And there's coming a time where all nations, tribes, and tongues will come together. And when we're in, the, in God's presence, we will be singing, right? We will be proclaiming God, uh, that Jesus is Lord for eternity, and we will never get tired of it. And Paul is saying, listen, without an interpreter, prayer in a tongue is not edifying. Singing in a tongue is not edifying. About blessings, even experience the blessings. Here is, a, here is a way where people who are speaking in tongues, legitimately praising God, and the rest of us could not be edified because we do not understand. But the reverse is true. If we are able to understand, we are able to join in the edification. We are able to join in the amen. Now, amening someone is customary in some churches. Uh, I know I was, in, I was in a church family years and years ago, where a brother in Christ would say amen to everything. Going to the beach this weekend, amen, brother. It's like, no, no, wrong reason to say amen, right? Air conditioning's working, amen. It's like, no, no, that's not the truth that we're trying to establish here. 
Amen is in response to a truth from God. If, if someone is singing, someone is giving their testimony, someone is preaching, someone is sharing a testimony from the floor, and something just strikes you inside. You understand what is being professed. You understand that in some way this is under the umbrella of Jesus as Lord. And you just find yourself wanting to say, Amen! That is what Paul is saying cannot be shared in if there's uninterpreted tongues. We want to be sharing the blessings of one another. We want to share in what, what is being professed it says, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, which you legitimately are, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed, a Christian who does not have the, the gift of interpretation, how can they say amen? And the, and the summation of the, they can't. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Without interpretation, we are not able to edify one another. So therefore, we must prioritize the practice of, clear, of clearly teaching God's Word. And that's, that's the therefore. We must prioritize the practice of clearly teaching God's Word in public worship. Hopefully, I'm accomplishing that today. It's really tough doing it twice in a span of an hour and a half of preaching the same message. Did I say that before? Did I not say that before? We must prioritize the practice of clearly teaching God's Word in public worship. But let me encourage you. You also must prioritize this in your private worship and your worship as a family, your worship as a spouse, or whatever it might be, whatever context, small group Bible study. Whenever you're engaged in God's Word, seek to be clear. Seek to teach clearly so that others may be built up. As we get into this next section, verses 20 to 23, we'll go a little faster. Uh, we learn that speaking in uninterpreted tongues leads others to the wrong conclusion about worship. This is a travesty when this takes place. He says in verse uh, 18, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Let me, uh, let me go back one. Sorry, I'm going to distract you if I don't do this. Uh, I skipped over verse 18. So as we prioritize the practice of clearly teaching God's word in public worship, Paul gives us an example of how he did it. He says in verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is where we get a little bit more insight into the nature of speaking in tongues for the first century church in Corinth and, and for Paul's personal experience. Because Paul says, listen, I have the gift of speaking in tongues. Not only do I have the gift, I actually exercise that gift, practice that gift more than all of you Corinthians. I... Paul spoke more than every Corinthian. He says, but in corporate worship, Paul prioritized speaking God's word in clarity. Paul is saying, what's true for you, Corinth, Corinthian Christians, is true of me. He says, in corporate worship, I would rather prioritize five words in contrast to 10,000 words in a tongue. I will give you five words of clarity. What would you do with a sermon of five words of clarity from your pastor, right? One of your pastors, right? You'd be like, what? All right? That's, that was my Ken imitation, all right? So what? So it's like, it's like you'd be like, five clear words are better than all these uninterpreted words in private worship. And I think it's what we see here is that, that Paul is saying, if, if Paul was setting this, he's saying this, uh, this contrast, if he would rather do five than 10,000, uh, it's a way of him communicating that he would likely never speak in tongues in public. 
In public worship, he would not exercise uh, the gift unless he was somehow able to, uh, to interpret, which he probably had that likewise. But notice, he doesn't even lean towards the, uh, the idea of speaking in tongues and worship. He says, listen, I am all about speaking clearly the Word of God to you so that you might be edified. So tongues are, are a sign. They certainly are a sign uh, as, we, as we think about how it was used in Acts 10, as we think about how it was used in excuse me, Acts 2 and Acts 10. It was a sign of the gospel first coming to them at Pentecost. It was a sign to Peter and others that, that the Gentiles were now able to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but as we go into the, these next verses, uh, we're going to see that speaking in tongues, uninterpreted tongues, leads others to the wrong conclusion about worship. They will actually say that you are insane. Notice this in verse um, uh, 20. He says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Before Paul goes further into making his, his, uh, uh, his next application, he, he cautions the Corinthian believers, as we ought to be cautioned, that we ought to grow. We ought to mature in our understanding of God's Word. He says that their practice of exalting and speaking in uninterpreted tongues will actually bring harm to the body of Christ. It will bring harm to those who are present in the worship gatherings, and there's two, two groups that are, that are present there. He says, brethren, so he softens the blow, and he says, do not be children in understanding. Skip to the end of that verse. But in understanding, be mature. He's saying this is maturity. Grow deeper and deeper in your understanding. But in malice, right there in the middle, he says, be babes. What he's saying by using that word malice is the idea that the Corinthians, unknowingly, certainly not with intention, they were causing harm to others. That's what malice means, to bring harm. They were bringing harm to others. And that's why he quotes this, this, uh, this quotation out of Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. That's what we see in verse 21 is a quotation from Isaiah. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Paul is quoting the Old Testament. And in the context of Isaiah uh, 28, it's a, it's a pronouncement of judgment. God is, is through, through His prophet, is, is pronouncing judgment upon the Jews who were unbelievers. How do you know they're unbelievers? Because He had sent Isaiah, and He had sent other prophets to them, and He spoke clearly in their language. He, they spoke Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. They spoke whatever the language of the day. They spoke to these Jewish people. They were supposed to understand, and they heard the words, but they, the result was unbelief. They heard the clearly spoken words of God, and they were unbelievers. And Paul says very clearly, and that he shares this in Isaiah 28, this event that took place uh, was significant. One preacher commented that, that these, these that heard the clearly spoken word of God were now uh, going to experience the negative experience of being called uh, or uh, being uh, captured by those of a foreign tongue. In the context, Assyria was coming. It was going to bring God's judgment was coming through a foreign power of Assyria. These the Jews did not understand the language. They were going to be overthrown. They were going to be taken away from Jerusalem into that country, and they would never see Israel again. And so, as 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 Paul shares this illustration, he's saying he's saying he goes in, in verse twenty two. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. What kind of sign, Paul? 
not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Paul says that speaking in tongues is a sign of judgment to unbelievers because they can't understand the words, so they can't repent. What Paul's telling the Corinthians, by you exalting tongues where there's not understanding, the unbeliever in your presence cannot understand the gospel, they cannot repent of their sins, they are destined for judgment because you have wrongfully, wrongfully kept, uh, done a practice when you should have emphasized the clarity of God's word, you chose to emphasize the uninterpreted tongue. The sign is for unbelievers, but I, I do believe the application is for believers. What's the application? Speak the word of God clearly. Paul is beating the same drum to this whole thing. Speak the word of God clearly. Prophecy rather than tongues is better. Prophecy is better. And again, as I'm defining prophecy, the clearly communicated word of God, we know it's the word of God, communicated in such a way where it can be understood, where it can be believed. He contrasts the, the public uh, speaking in tongues as a negative sign. And he says, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believed. Prophecy is a sign for believers. Well, what is that sign? Well, let me just get to the point, because I actually think I failed to make the point in the first service. What's the sign for a believers? When God's word is spoken clearly, lives are changed. For eternity. Prophesying is a sign for believers. Paul says he, he shows the effects upon these two groups of people when, when tongues are not interpreted. He says, verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, here's the negative example. He says, listen, if, if, if the whole church comes together in one place and you all, that means all of us speaking tongues all at the same time, and there comes in two different groups of people. One, it says, who are the uninformed, that would be Christians without the gift of interpretation, or unbelievers, that's pretty black and white, those who do not understand who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. They do not believe. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? And that's what we say when we see the wrongful practice of uninterpreted tongues in the world today. We see congregations standing up and everybody just talking all at the same time. It's confusion. Confusion's not confession. Confusion's confusion. And when there's confusion going on, uh, the uninformed, they, they, they are going to... If you walked into a, a charismatic Pentecostal service where this was taking place and there was no interpretation and everybody's speaking at once, you would stand there as a Christian and say, I don't get it. If you're an unbeliever and you're in that room... And, and all this is going on, you know, because you've been invited and you don't understand what's going on. You're going to sit there, stand there and you're going to, I don't get it. And what's going to happen? No edification and maybe no belief. No edification for the Christian and no belief for the unbeliever. So the, again, the uninformed are Christians without the gift of interpretation. Unbelievers are those who, those who may respond to God's word if they could understand. And that, that brings us to this point, because after they, uh, the, the, the one side of this is, if everybody spoke in tongues, they're going to conclude that you are insane. But notice what he starts, and, and this brings us to the final section of we're going to look at. Uh, in verses uh, 20 through 23, we see both Christians and non-Christians will think you are insane. But finally, we see that, that uh, in, in speak the God's word, speaking God's word clearly, prophecy strengthens the church. Notice the strength. Notice the building up that takes place in these last two verses of this whole section that we've looked at. 
Prophecy strengthens the church. People will be convicted that they are sinners. When the Word of God is clearly spoken, sinners come to an understanding of their sin. That's what it says. But if all prophesy, this is the positive thing, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, what are the results? He is convinced by all. That word convinced in, in, the, uh, in the New King James is actually the idea of convicted, which gets a little confusing when you get to the next portion where it says he is convicted by all. Uh, it's a little awkward in the translations, and depending on what translation you have, it may make more sense than, than in others. But what we understand here, this is why I phrase it this way, people who understand God's word will be convicted that they are sinners. That's the conviction. The second thing we see is that people will be called to account for their sin. This is what happened to me. This is what happened to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You came in contact with the Word of God. You recognized that you were a sinner. And then in this part, port right here, at that point, we, we were called to account for our sin. I'm a sinner. What do I do now? Right? It's kind of similar to what, what the, the people at Pentecost said. They're hearing all this wonderful stuff, and they're like, what do I do now? We killed the Messiah. Peter says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So people, when they come to the clear understanding of what God's Word says, they're convicted of their sins, and they're called to account. Come to faith, and that's what we see. People will be edified. Oh, excuse me, I thought I pressed the... Secrets will be disclosed. This is, this is a beautiful part because this is where I don't really have to say a whole lot about this if you've experienced this. I've experienced this. How many of you experienced your secrets being uh, disclosed to yourself, not necessarily to the public? Uh, how many of you ever experienced under the preaching of God's Word? Did he read my mail? Did someone peek at my diary? Is there something that is, how is this possible? That preacher, he's, he's, he's reading the Word of God and he's explaining what it means and it's all about me. And that's when I sat in, in both college and in my early Christian years. I would sit there and like, this is amazing how the Word of God, when it's read and it's understood and it's applied, the secrets of one's heart are disclosed. That's what he says in verse 25. And thus the secrets of the heart are revealed. Maybe you're here this morning and, you, and you, don't, you don't know what's going on. I hope it's true, whether you're here in this room or online. I hope there's something that's going on saying, listen, all this talk about sin, all this talk about Jesus as Lord, I don't get it. But there's this gnawing. Of the, you know, maybe I should list off some sins. Are you caught up in the pornography? Are you caught up in the lying? Are you caught up in the gossip? Are you greedy? Are you a thief? Are you a liar? Are you a, a, a whatever it might be? Do you take money under the table? Do you cheat on your taxes? Right? Do you lie to your spouse? Do you lie to your children? Do you lie to your parents? Do you stretch the truth? You know, what is it in your life? Are you here because you have to be here? Are you here because you want to be here? Are you here for any other reason than to say Jesus is Lord? And as you're sitting here right now under the hearing of my voice and the preaching of God's word, you're saying something's not right in here. And I hope that's true because I can't control that. That's the spirit. And the spirit discloses the secrets of our heart. And when the secrets of our heart are disclosed, that's when repentance, faith, and worship take place. Notice what he says. Verse 25. Thus the secrets of the heart is revealed. And so, falling down on his face, 
It's the idea of repentance. It's the idea of worship. He will worship God and report that God is truly among you. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak the word of God clearly, and all this will take place. People will be convicted. They will be called to account. They, the, the secrets of their heart will be dis, d- disclosed. They will experience repentance, faith, and worship. And lastly, we will see that the gospel will continue to be proclaimed to others. Why do we exist as a church? To make a mature disciples of Jesus Christ. How do you make a disciple? You introduce them to Jesus. You introduce them to their Lord. You share with them the gospel that they must come to faith in what he has done on that cross. Without that knowledge, without it clearly explained, they are destined for judgment, as Isaiah 28 said. But we have the privilege to preach the word of God clearly and to teach it to our children and to teach it to others so they might teach it to others so that the gospel will be proclaimed here and around the world. But where the application is, it rests right with us. Are we here this morning willing to proclaim Jesus as Lord of my life? And are we willing to live it out in such a way where it's clearly understood that I stand for Christ in all my doings, and I will proclaim his gospel throughout the ages? The clearly communicated word of God builds the church. I'll I'll conclude with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the woman, the person of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is the word of God that makes all the difference in a person's life, both a believer and a non-believer. Let's clearly communicate it, and let's praise God with it. We've gone long, I know I've gone long, uh, mostly because of all the different announcements and the, and the, and the membership. So we're going to sing two songs as we close. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and I'll ask the, the musicians to come. Uh, and, and we definitely have gone long, and I, I uh, hope that you're okay with that. But let's go ahead and close in, in, a, in a word of prayer and glorify God for how he loves us so much. That not only he sent his son, he gave us his word. Father, I thank you for this time that we've spent in your word today. Pray, Father, that you will be glorified uh, in, in the exercise of teaching and preaching that takes place. I pray that you be glorified in the heart response of the believers as they are challenged in some area of life where they say, we need to repent, we need to change. Lord, be glorified in the life of unbelievers as they, as they come for the first time to a recognition that their sin is ultimately an offense to you. They are accountable to you. But thank you for the good news, Father, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for forgiveness. And I pray, Father, for the unbelievers today, those that would not profess to be a Christian, Lord, that they would come to an understanding that your love for them means that you sent your Son into this world to die on the cross for their sins, to pay the sin debt that they owe so that they may come to faith, repent, and that they may come to worship you and proclaim the truth of the gospel to others. May you find faith in the hearts of all those listening to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.